Hey guys, what's up? It is week 302, and I have a few reviews for you. I don't think this episode will be too long, probably on the short end, but uh, yeah, let's hop right into this. The first one up is from Dread Central, or Epic Pictures, and this is Woman of the Photographs, and this is a Japanese film. Really hadn't heard much about it, said it's Cronenberg-esque, which interested me right away. So basically what we have here is this kind of lonely uh, digital photographer. Not He's a photographer, but he mostly works on you know digital after effects and stuff like that. And he has a slew of regular customers that come in and ask him to do certain things, de-aging, you know, fixing things up, you know, changing people's appearance. And one day while he's out taking uh, pictures, he's interested in insects and everything. Very Cronenberg, right? Seems like something or Kafka or something like that. He uh, finds this woman who's injured herself and she's like kind of model influencer. And this influencer starts to kind of take a liking to him and starts to hang around his shop. And she had gotten this horrible scar. Uh, just instance, uh, just instant before, like he met, uh, she met the photographer. So basically, he kind of touches up her scar in a lot of her pictures. And over time, she starts to realize that, like, she's kind of like being dropped by sponsors, and people are losing interest. And she uh, decides to post kind of the real photo. Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff in here about they say body dysmorphia on the back, and I can see that. Yes, um, dysmorphia exactly the definition is something is it's not as it what it appears. It doesn't look the same or whatever it appears or size and everything but the most interesting characters in the movie are actually some of the side characters there's one girl who comes in and she has her picture completely changed to attract a mate and she says people will remember what's in the photo they'll remember the more positives uh, when they think back on me and it's just this weird kind of complex thought and the way she she looks at things that i thought was very interesting and not to mention that there's a character who comes in and gets these pictures touched up for like older people and there's a really kind of heartwarming moment of course the movie does have kind of like a horror bend and kind of like this weird kind of psychological twist to it um but it does say a decent amount about social media and influencers and your body image and who you are you know and really and what you appear to be all that kind of stuff which is i feel like is definitely modern um and i don't think it's going anywhere i think these are a lot of questions that need to be you know answered and i think film is a good place to start looking at them and everything like that so this is a woman of the photo Photographs. A pretty interesting film. Fairly well made, uh, well acted, no real complaints. Now, I do like its subject and its ideas, but, uh, you know, they, they went to certain places, but I feel like they could have dived in a little deeper. It's not exactly the most, it has a body horror element, of course, that makes some cringe stuff, but it's not incredibly extreme or anything like that. It's fairly approachable, although bizarre at the same time. That is Women of the Photographs. Okay, the next one is the American release of Knockabout. Now, Knockabout is from Arrow Films here, and this was originally put out by Eureka over in the UK, and this was a region-locked release. This is directed by Sam Hong. I covered it then, and this pretty much appears to be almost identical in disc, almost all the same special features, except, of course, this one is locked region A. Now, if you guys aren't familiar with this, this is directed by Sam Hong. Sam Hong is a martial artist and director. He's in a slew of films, um, Encounters of the Spooky Kind, uh, One I Just Millionaires Expressed, a bunch of stuff. He's really you know, excellent and excels at this stuff but he's kind of a supporting character here basically this one follows a kind of a typical kind of martial arts storyline here we have two brothers who are kind of like these goofy thieves and um basically what they do is in the very beginning you see like their kind of scheme which is excellent how they get this like rip off this pawn this dirty pawn star guy and get a bunch of gold uh like more like you know 20 ounces worth of gold for not like whatever they do it's it's really clever and smart and they kind of trick the audience at the same time 
But uh, they, they kind of bicker back and forth and end up losing their fortune and having a run-in with a bunch of people. And they tend to get the, the beat up quite a bit. And then they run into this kind of master, this really tough guy, and he single-handedly beats the shit out of them. And they start to get an idea, maybe we can learn from this guy, become bullies and then kind of abandon him and whatnot and that's not exactly what happens they start first become students of this guy and uh, before long they realize he has a real dark side at one point there's a couple goons that come looking for this master and the goons are really kind of awesome and intimidating and kind of it's kind of unique because they suggest that there's like a homosexual relationship here now there's two versions of the film there's the uh the um the uh, hong kong version which is like an hour and 45 and then the export which is like an hour 30 and if you watch that in english some of the words they choose are definitely derogatory and it comes across cheesy it's definitely a product of its time and whoever dubbed it chose to use different words yada 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 etc but uh yeah you know this is a fun film and it has a couple dark moments which you really don't expect Samuel Hung is kind of like this drifter that constantly is always bumping into the brothers and kind of coming out on top taking advantage of them he's kind of like a goofy kind of character but he also has his own style of martial arts so there's like a lot of training here and there it's it's like I said it's typical but has like a goofy flair to it as well almost all the Samuel Hung movies do but at the same time he's not really the star of it but it has a dark side to it as well it's a fairly entertaining movie i enjoyed it uh enjoyed it the second time around as well uh you'll recognize a couple of the characters here this guy up here um he's in a slew of these martial arts films um but the uh, special features include 2K restorations from original elements by Fortune Star of both the original Hong Kong theatrical cut and the shorter export cut. High definition um, presentation, original lossless Cantonese and Mandarin mono audio for the HK theatrical cut plus lossless English mono for both cuts. Two choices of English dub audio for the HK theatrical cut, the original export dub mono, and the newer 5.1 dub created for the international DVD presentations. Optional English subtitles for HK theatrical cut and English subtitles for the deaf and hard of hearing on the export cut. Commentary on the HK theatrical cut by martial arts cinema experts Frank Jin and Michael Wirth. Commentary on export cut by action cinema experts Mike Leader and Army Venema. And then we have an archival uh, interview with Samo Hong. Archival interview with Brian Beardy Ling. Car Yan, archival interview with Grandmaster Chow Sun Chang, a master of monkey style kung fu. Deleted red room scene featuring stars Yeon Boon and Samuel Hung and teaser promo for film Japanese original uh, release. Now, is this one have? There might be. Um, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Frank Jin. See, it has all the same special features as this one. So I don't know if there's any, uh, basically, any reason to upgrade if you have both, unless you really want um, the kind of. Uh, in region one but it's a really entertaining movie i think most people will dig it this is knockabout okay next up we're gonna tackle this box set in, in uh, some kind of segment so first time we're gonna do two movies next week two two until it's done and this is the lucas moodyson collection and uh this is a scandinavian filmmaker here sweden um and I'm a, i wasn't too familiar with this work now this set includes several films fucking amel together lily forever a hole in my heart and C container mammon we are the best now honestly i have actually seen fucking amel aka show me love before somebody picked it for for a patron uh, patron pick and I really enjoyed it so we're gonna start with show me love let me dig it out of here and this set's really cool too it has a nice like plastic cover on the end so this is something I typically wouldn't cover on the show you know I do cover a lot of cult films and it is good to watch all sorts of different movies but this is a fuck me uh, <laughs> fucking amel uh, show me love and it has like the thin case here everything like that 
So essentially, this is kind of a really sweet coming-of-age story. With a title like that, you wouldn't suggest it. That's actually the, the place where they live. So essentially, what we have here is this kind of shy girl, and she's a lesbian. She doesn't really have any friends, and her, her, her father is constantly kind of understands her. But her mother's always pushing her to get out and kind of, like, you know, meet more people, be more popular, all these kind of things. Uh, one day, her mom basically makes her throw a birthday party, and she invites, like, one person. Um, nobody shows up until late. And then you kind of get the idea and everything like that. Um, there's this girl who's kind of a party girl and she's bored with her town. She's bored with her life. And she lives kind of in a different home style, home life and everything like that. A single parent. She's always fighting with her sister. And she's kind of like, uh, I guess she has the reputation for being like easy or, or just kind of a crazy party girl, which isn't really necessarily true. But uh, through these bizarre circumstances, she ends up going to this girl's party and on a dare, she gives her a kiss. Unknowing uh, to her, this kind of oh, makes her kind of almost fall in love with this girl. And this girl was already infatuated with her. So we have this kind of uneasy teenage kind of coming of age, sweet love story. Um, there's a really cute part where the the group hang out the the duo hang out at night and they're kind of like acting like they're going to run and leave this town they start hitchhiking and uh the driver goes to restart his car because something happened and there's a great needle drop i think it's waiting uh waiting for love or waiting for a girl like it's foreigner song and it's just a brilliant moment and the way it ends it's really like a good comic hit um there's also side characters here that are really fun like i said the parents really work well the way they kind of uh tackle how other people see homosexuality is good because this is older this is like the mid to late 90s so it's obviously a little different back then than it is now um but still every i think it's hard for everybody at these points but regardless the way they handle it and the way they have the side characters and how people react to it is really interesting um they actually address that in the special features here there is um approved uh, okay what here we go we have new interview with uh lucas uh Moodison, moderated by film programmer sarah lutton and they do like a 15 minute thing in front of each movie which is nice new interview with star alexandra dahlstrom moderated by lutton did you know she's a lesbian? In appreciation by Dr. Clara Bradbury Rance, author of Lesbian Cinema After Queer Theory. And that's really interesting, too, because she basically talks about, you know, how uh, queer uh, cinema has, like, grown and how uh, homosexuals and lesbians are portrayed in films and stuff like that and how these characters are portrayed and if it, it's strange for a, a straight man to make this stuff. It goes into all this kind of stuff. And then we have Talk, uh, Brada Prada Light, a short film directed by Moodison in 1997, theatrical trailer. So if you are a fan of this, I, you know, it's, it's a nice thing for arrow to pick up these kind of strange you know films that are cult films for sure and have a following all around the world but i don't think they really got to play in the united states like a lot of other cult films did so that is fucking amel show me love good stuff um enjoyed re-watching this one this is the only one that i had seen from the set my father says <laughs> Han har bara gjort revolution. Ja, men då får vi se vem som skrattar då. Jag vill vara konstnär. Inte konst, men jag vill inte vara som alla andra. Här är jag. Här är min nya tjej. Det är väl att det är min dröm. Jag har alltid fantiserat om det här. Kär mig. Så du... Kan du ha en kvinna här? Kvinnor är bra. 
Those are, the girls are wonderful. Come to me, big brother. Next up from the Lucas Moodinson uh, collection is Together. Now, I actually preferred this one a little bit more. There's a lot more going on. It's a lot more complex, a lot more characters. So essentially what we have here is a kind of a communion where it feels kind of like more hippie style communion where there's a lot of rules set forth, no meat, no television, no buying any capitalistic companies, products, all these kind of things set forth. And there's a slew of people living here. This takes place in the 70s, I think mid-70s. It's a period piece. Looks really good too. And you know, I didn't even register it was a period piece. And then like almost through the entire movie's over, I was like, this is a period piece. What is wrong with me? I didn't register. And then I started noticing all these little tiny details, not even tiny, like the cars and everything and the, the set design. It just looked really good it was very very kind of uh well done which was pretty cool so essentially with all these characters living in this house and uh one of the patriarchs i guess if you'd say so of this communion sister is like had a, a falling out with her husband he had abused her so she wants to move in with the kids just to get away from him. has two kids and so she moves into this and she starts kind of like a close relationship between um a lesbian that's there who recently just turned lesbian and divorced her husband who's also still living in the communion and then we have the uh, brother who let her live there and he has an open relationship with this younger girl who's been sleeping with this kind of activist so it's really complicated there's also a pair of hippies who are really hardcore into this stuff so when these kids enter the equation things start to change the father is struggling with alcohol problems and getting his life together and there's some moments I guess of humor or just life in general that could be funny and essentially what happens is it all kind of comes together and hey they come together in the very end and a really kind of heartwarming scene which i really enjoyed and it was very touching um it worked really well i thought the characters were well established and it kind of makes you think kind of makes you really put your life in perspective and what's important and what you should do all these kind of things like that so this one really hit home for me i thought that it worked really well i liked all the characters there's homosexual relationships all these kind of things in there which i did think were well done so as far as the special features are concerned we have um new interview with Lucas uh, Moodinson, uh, moderated by film programmer Sarah Lutton. New interview with script supervisor Malin Fornaner, moderated by Lutton. New interview with editor Mikhail Lechikovsky, moderated by Lutton. Deleted scenes, theatrical trailer. So, yeah, if you're a fan of the movies, I, I would recommend this one. I think this one was a little bit better. I thought the period piece stuff looked really well done and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so next week I'll tackle a couple more. Okay, the next one is from 1983 and Vinegar Syndrome. And this is the Devonsville Tear uh, by Ulay Lamal, who did stuff like uh, Protzi and The Boogeyman and Tenderness of the Wolves. So, uh, yeah, he originally got to start with Tenderness of the Wolves directing it, working for um, Fastbinder. So the Devonsville Tear is from 1983, like I said. This is one that I had never seen. It does have a couple familiar faces in here. Of course, it has Donnie P., Donnie Pleasance. Everybody loves Donald Pleasance. 
I am no different. Love Donald Pleasance. He's pretty fun in this one. And it also has, um, last week I covered a movie called The Pack, and that had this uh, this kind of nerdy, kind of heavy set character. He is also in this, playing a completely different character, a completely ridiculous character in this one. Um, really, really good character, really good change. So the Devonsville Terror opens up with like a, a flashback, a period piece kind of deal, where they show these people putting witches to death and all this kind of thing, like 300 years ago. I can't remember the exact time. And they have like a witch being burned on a wheel, you know, burned at the stake, all these kind of typical things people being eaten by pigs and then we kind of fast forward to modern times and what we have here is this new school teacher that moves in and right away you kind of get the sense of the small town mentality the one guy had recently just killed his wife and they made it look like an accident and donald pleasance is aware that this town has a curse and since he comes from like a long lineage of the people who actually burned the witches who led the witch kind of brigade or whatever um basically he has been cursed so he is completely worried always uh, creeped out about trying to stop this curse and everything and he actually develops a rare disease where worms are eating his flesh so he's picking out mealworms constantly and there's uh, points when he's going around like giving everybody in the town you know you know exams but he starts to hypnotize them and try to figure out who they are and kind of get back to that time in the past and try to stop what's happening to him so in the opening there's some narration that's like read out of a journal and it closes that way too which makes the whole thing feel very lovecraftian it definitely has the element of like the reincarnation of isabel aka black magic rites where you have like these characters and they're like their their ancestors and stuff like that in the past and it's this long lineage of backwoods kind of mentality here or this small town mentality and burn witch burning all this kind of stuff here so it is a little slow at times, but I think that uh, what they managed to do really well is capture the small town feel, especially from a director in Ule Lumel, who's not an American director, but somehow he captures the Americana stuff really well. This movie is shot in Wisconsin, and I knew it was kind of up in that Midwestern kind of Wisconsin area, and uh, you can tell from some of the accents and everything, and like the acting ranges, there's one character who's just like a complete bigot who's always yelling at his wife, um, but the end of the movie has a really kind of showstopper scene involving an exploding head, a melting face, some really good kills, some really good gore overall it's a pretty solid horror film i think it's better than boogeyman i think it's more it's less inept than the boogeyman to be honest i think the boogeyman's pretty nonsensical but i guess that's part of the charm for a lot of people as far as the special features are concerned we have quite a bit actually we have god as a woman an interview with co-writer actress suzanne love suzanna love it's melting men an interview with special effects artist matthew m uh, w mungle the interview uh incredible melting man interview with actor paul wilson not very nice people interview with makeup artist erica Unlan, uh, Mind of a Chess Player, interview with camera operator Jorg Walter, archival interview with co-director, writer, um, co-writer, director Ule Lamel. So we have behind the scenes as well. So yeah, it's a it's a fun little horror movie. I'm glad Vinegar Syndrome put it out. I never got a chance to see it, so I can uh, mark this one off the list. It's so funny because Ulai Lamel's early movies are all watchable, and then when you hit a certain point, I just like some of the direct-to-video Blu-rays and stuff were just not for me. They just were really rough stuff, cheap, maybe just budget constraints and everything. But the Devonsville Terror is pretty cool. Okay, next one up from Vinegar Syndrome is from 1998, and it's been a long time since I watched this. It's a Hong Kong flick, Bio Zombie with double slip covers. So, got two slip covers here. This is a very fun flick if nobody's ever seen it. Um, it's a zombie comedy movie. And they always say, made way before Shaun of the Dead. Yes, made six years before Shaun of the Dead. Heavily inspired, obviously, by Dawn of the Dead that it takes place in a mall. But it's nothing really like Dawn of the Dead. 
So you have these kind of two uh, kind of losers that run a VC, VCD shop or work at one. They film movies as they come out and like sell them in the VCD shop illegally, bootlegs and everything like that. And they're always kind of trying to do this get rich scheme stuff. Um, on the way back from picking up their boss's car, they kind of trash it. They hit um, somebody who's running away from this kind of underground chemical deal where there's a zombie involved. And he they injure this guy. They give him this uh, soft drink. They think it's a soft drink. It's in the suitcase. It turns him into a zombie. They put him in his trunk. They bring him back to the mall. Boom, we have a big zombie outbreak with all the weird side characters in here. Of course, there's love interest because these two guys are infatuated with any girl around. And uh, there's a lot of love kind of things going on here. There's a character who works in this uh, kind of sushi place, and he's obsessed with a girl who works, I think, at a, uh, giving manicures or something like that. I can't remember roles. I can't remember exactly what she does. But essentially, you know, the zombies come back in kind of funny detail. A lot of them look like they just have paper towel in their face and smudge it. It's a low-budget movie. And it's up to our, you know, kind of unwilling heroes to become heroes and fight back. Um, there's a handful of characters. Almost all of them are enjoyable. And the movie surprisingly has a mean streak. Um, pretty mean-spirited for how goofy the actual movie is. I love the way it looks. You know, it's got that Hong Kong look from the 90s. Works really well. Enjoyable for sure. And like, you, you don't really like the two main characters, Invincible and uh, B. But over time, they really basically come to come around and you like it. There's some fun gore gags, of course. You know, somebody runs in a uh, parking lot and starts hacking people left and right. It's kind of like, um, you know, an unsung zombie movie, you know, that doesn't get a lot of attention. I mean, when it came out, it did. In 98, I remember people were like, oh, you got to check this out. I remember being pretty excited because, you know, I was such a huge fan of Romero's films that I tried to grab every zombie movie. And I actually have a um, Blu-ray of this somewhere um, that I had uh, imported, and I never got a chance to watch it. So now I've upgraded to the Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, I'm sure it's it's better because they did some additional remastering and everything. Um, as far as the special features, there are a couple. We have a brand new commentary track with film historian Frank Jin. BioZombie interviewed co-writer and director Wilson Yip by Frederick Armandstor. And this guy did the, uh, uh, what is those, up, 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 um, um, up Man or whatever? IP Man, there it is. And then we have Video Games, uh, Contaminated, Lucy's Aid, and Human Sushi, a video essay by film historian Chris O'Neill. Kind of goes over the brief history of zombie movies and talks about this one as well. Then we have the alternate ending. Both endings, pretty downbeat. Would recommend checking out BioZombie. It's a lot of fun. Uh, nice to have a stateside uh, release that looks this good, to be honest. It, it's, it's well worth your time if you're a zombie fan. Okay, the next one up is from 2017, 2018, and I never got a chance to watch this. And I, and I bought it, and it's been sitting on the shelf for a long time. It's Overlord, and I was really excited to finally put it in. And one day I was just like, you know what? I want to watch something big and, and 4K and just see something with a lot of special effects. So I popped in Overlord. It's a World War II movie. It's kind of like a rewrite, rewriting of history kind of style thing. Um, we have a group of paratroopers going in, um, and they need to get this tower down. So basically the invasion of D-Day can go smooth because they need air support in this area and this tower is behind enemy lines so we have a group of you know paratroopers i guess you call them paratroopers i don't know the division names or whatever whatever um don't know if terms change from war to war on that so this group of guys is gonna hop down and try to survive but of course uh tragedy strikes a bunch of them get killed even before they land and it's like three or four guys have to stop the nazis they realize that there is something 
underneath this radio tower and there's a lab and there's lots of crazy experiments going on, including kind of zombies and super soldiers and all this kind of stuff. It really feels like a Captain America movie, a uh, comic book, like a more violent R rated Captain America style thing. It's really entertaining in that aspect. And there's some real nightmare imagery, like um, when they kind of land and you see all these uh, people that parachuted and got caught in trees and got hung and they're just hanging there dead. And you're just like, wow, the action hits really good. Like the shots when they have shootouts and people get shot really well done. Um, the monster special, effects are really solid no real complaints except kind of a major one and this kind of sucks because i don't think the acting's poor it's just the characters are very one-dimensional they're just they're not bad they're just bland and i don't care about any of them i just don't think they have much going on for them the whole thing feels much like a video game in fact i would compare it directly to frankenstein's army which came out a few years before it has that kind of element of the nazi experiments the main bad guy is really good i love what he turns into at the end i think that was really cool kurt russell's son is fine everybody's fine there's nobody's great if that makes any sense nobody's amazing nobody's that great it's just kind of bland characters doing uh, good actors doing bland characters and coming across the best they can um yeah that's, that's all I can say about it. It's violent. It's gory. It's fun. It's it's fairly well-paced. Um, but yeah, it, it's not what I expected. I, I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. And, you know, for the money this thing cost, it should have been a home run. It should have been a pretty easy win. But it, it's a win. It's just it was a little bit more tough to win than I thought it was. You know, it should have been a, it's just very easy to like. And it just wasn't as easy as I thought it would be to like. That's Overlord. Next up is from Umberto Lenzi in the late 80s, 89. And this is Nightmare Beach. That's right. Uh, starring John Saxon, Michael Parks. Um, I feel like there's somebody else in this one that I'm forgetting. Oh, not, not really. It's just Michael Michael Parks and John Saxon. So this is kind of the late 80s uh, Italian horse cycle, early 90s. Um, back around that time, like Phil Mirage, Joe D'Amato's company was coming over to the United States. And they were making all these like American Italian co-productions. And I think they were actually speaking... Um, uh, on set, you know, keeping the, the uh, dialogue in and recording sound, which is rare. So essentially what we have here is during spring break in Florida, um, a motorcycle killer uh, is going around picking off people that are partying, spring breakers. Um, now, everybody thinks it's the recently put to death leader of the biker gang, um, the Demons. Hey, that's right. We're talking about the Demons by Lamberto Bava. They even wear jackets with the Demons uh, lettering on there. So everybody's thinking that possibly this guy didn't actually die and he's come back and he's burning everyone because the way the killer carries out his implements is he basically has an electric chair and his motorcycle. It's really awesome. It's really over the top, but it's played fairly straight to be honest. So essentially we're thinking it could be the storyline of something like shocker or fallen or you know the horse show where it's like this guy's not dead and he's possibly supernatural destroyer all these kind of weird uh, i've been put to death or have i kind of storylines um but of course there's going to be some twists and turns and maybe it is and maybe it isn't john saxton plays a crooked cop and he plays a real big dickhead um he's good in it michael parks plays a drunk coroner he's good in it not even sure if he's acting. Um, but yeah, uh, there's a lot of fun moments on the spring break beaches. You know, wet t-shirt contests, concerts with really fun, catchy songs, a lot of kills, a lot of over-the-top electrocutions, which are worth time. And it will veer off and just like spend time with these side characters for a long time. There's this running gag with this prostitute. This prostitute in here is basically servicing all these people, and she's always making up these funny stories. And of course, there's a, there's a hotel manager who's sneaking glimpses and all that kind of stuff. It's just sleazy 
Italian style, um, like co-production with America. It's very enjoyable. You know, I don't, this is the dumbest thing. It's not going to win any Academy Awards, but we all know that, right? And it's just a fun slasher movie late in the Italian horror cycle, late in the slasher cycle, but well worth your time if you like this sort of thing. Um, I feel like it's a little bit more played straight and the kills and everything are, are really decent. Now, uh, Sam Deegan does a commentary on here and she does mention that it does feel similar to a couple earlier, um, Umberto Lenzi Jolly, and I would not argue that one of the killer's motivation is not dissimilar. So yeah, that is Nightmare Beach, aka Welcome to Spring Break. Okay, one from 2021, and this is sick. Um, I can't remember who directed this. Uh, Josh Hyams, the director Peter Hyams, he directed Alone uh, a couple years back, which was the kind of uh, survival horror film, which is really well made. Not my not my cup of tea, but really well directed. And this is written by Kevin Williamson. And right when you watch it, you'd be like, no shit. So this is a COVID movie. Um, and it's kind of funny you're watching it and you instantly date it. You know, I mean, like COVID's not going to go away, of course, but people just don't talk about it nearly as much as they used to during the time this was made. So like you're watching it and you're like, oh yes, this is very much a product of its time when it was made so we have here is a couple of girlfriends are going to go quarantine at this summer cabin but of course there's a killer going around and they're targeting them we don't know why they're targeting them but uh we do see them in uh, action earlier when they kill somebody in a kind of a really kind of elaborate well done way very uh, uh, reminiscent of scream so essentially what happens is we have like a home invasion in the last 40 minutes or so and we have three characters that have to deal with the killer now there is a twist in here and the killer's motivation is really well done the gore is solid it's all overall a really solid just kind of slasher home invasion film now, it's not any different from anything else Kevin Williamson's ever done or anything else that really Himes has ever done, but I think it's satisfying enough and well done enough and it packs a couple punches and is self-aware enough to be interesting, to be entertaining. Now, I, it's not going to make a top 10 or anything for me, but I would recommend checking out Sick. It's on Peacock. You could do a lot worse. Okay, the Patreon pick is by Nick Mua, and this is Ali, Fear Eats the Soul, and this is by uh, Fastbinder. And I've never uh, covered a Fastbinder movie on here. I know he's super prolific, directed like 45 movies in like 10 years or something like that and died very young in his early 40s or late 30s, 38, something like that. And uh, yeah, this stars, um, what's the actor's name? Uh, the character who plays Ali. And he has a really interesting backstory with the director, and he has a really tragic end as well as the director. And when you watch this and then you look into the background, the context of the movie, it really kind of feel you can feel that sadness, you can feel that like that weird moments between them, and all this kind of stuff in here. So essentially what we have here is a Moroccan uh, who is working in Germany in the 70s, and he meets this older German lady, this widow, and they kind of start to form a friendship, and then it becomes more than that. Um, and the, really, the movie is just kind of about people adapting in a place where nobody wants them, where there's this racism between everybody. And Germany, even though it is from Nazi Germany, it's no longer Nazi Germany, that racism and that hatred still is embedded in their society. Um, so this character, Ali, you know, he has to struggle with that. And it's just like, at first, it's really sweet and touching with uh, the two characters kind of meeting, the older German lady who's an excellent actress as well. And then over time, it gets really nerve-wracking and really depressing, and you can feel the stress eating at them, and you can just see their hearts breaking on camera visually. There's this really beautiful moment where they're kind of sitting at this, I believe it's a lot of the pictures in the movie you'll see, or some of the even cover art um, of the, the poster, where you see two of the, the couple sitting there in like a rainy kind of diner outside uh, at like a table, and all the staff is watching them from a distance and just, just looking at them because they're a relationship that shouldn't be, you know, a young uh, Arab 
character, a young Arab guy and an older German woman, everybody just assumes that, you know, she's dumb and he's using her for the money and all this kind of stuff like that. And uh, it kind of goes on and it ends just kind of in a very slice of life way, but it gets its message across. You can feel the despair. You can feel the depression. And if you were to read about the lead actor, you would even be more depressed and you could even feel more the despair. Now, I got to give this movie uh, Golden Glove hats off because that's a period piece. And when you compare Golden Glove to this, which takes place in the 70s and everything, I believe it takes place in the 70s, you can just see the comparison of like, wow, they did a really good job in recreating this uh, kind of this this look and everything like that. The acting in this is exceptional. It's really depressing and it really works well. I think it's an excellent movie. I think it's wonderful. I think it's beautiful. I think it's sad. I think it's tragic. But yeah, that is Ali. Fear eats the soul. Great stuff. Okay, let's get into these questions, comments, concerns, all that stuff. Uzi Suicide 666. A top guys playing sleazebag list. Thomas Mulan. Tomas Mulan. David Hess. Anthony Wong. Legends. I would also add Telly Savalas. Anatologically, uh, Steve, I received my Lindsay Milan box set two weeks ago and I've devoured it. One of the best sets I've ever bought. I had a blast with it. Thanks for covering it, Dave. I really wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Um, you're welcome. I'm glad I got to watch it. Does anyone know if Severn plans to reissue a standard edition of Four Flies on Grey Velvet? I certainly hope so. I'm not sure. I, I don't know what's going on with it. Zach Nolan, I want to see Creepers. I went to see Creepers in 1985. Half the way through the film, I realized that was the only one in the theater. That's funny. Nick Moore, Phenomenon, my second favorite Argento film after Suspiria. Still, Phenomenon introduced me to Dario's horror genius, so it always occupies a special place in my black little heart. Also, the cop is a Belgian actor. Who knew? Questions. Why do studios always cut up excellent movies, do you think? Because the people at the studios don't think it's you can sell the movie to a certain audience, so they cut it up. Happens all the time. What was the first Argento film you saw, and did you know then you'd always love his work? That's tough. Was it Phenomenon? Was it Deep Red? Was it Tenebrae? Was it Suspiria? I think it was probably Suspiria, just because that was the one that had the name recognition, and I remember being completely intrigued by it. Now, I've seen stuff he produced. I've seen Demons first, but I never he didn't direct that, so it was definitely Suspiria. And that kind of just was so different and unique. I had to see more. Did you sometimes wish you were friends with a knife welding chimp? No, I don't like chimpanzees. I mean, I don't nothing personal against chimpanzees. They just scare me. I don't think they belong in captivity. I don't think they belong as pets unless they absolutely have to be held in captivity or anything like that. They're just you hear about the freak outs. They're just too intelligent to have and strong at the same time and also unstable. Like, it's like having a four-year-old or something like that that it can rip your arms off. It's just, no, I don't I don't want a knife-welding chimp as my friend. Um, the next time, sir, love for movies will keep us young at heart. It does, sir. hasn't worked for me. Uh, Stephen Hyde, great insights. Thank you. Tim Hayes, Spielberg produced Poltergeist? Question mark. I thought he directed it since I heard it in the behind-the-scenes special. Actress Joe Beth Williams mentioned Spielberg being on set directing one scene she did. I knew he was involved with the casting since Drew Barrymore originally auditioned for Carol Ann. But Spielberg thought she was better for a role in another film he was doing at the same time. It sounded like he was doing the casting for both E.T. and Poltergeist. But I thought Spielberg had a bit more involvement in Poltergeist. They're both 82. Um, I remember watching Creepers cut a phenomenon some years back. It seemed pretty violent in that 82-minute uh, R-rated cut. So, about Spielberg and Toby Hooper. Um, Toby Hooper is listed as a director. Spielberg produced it. Everybody always said that Hooper never directed it because it has the Amblin feel. Although if you look at Goonies, you look at Gremlins, you look at anything he fucking produced, they all have an Amblin feel. He probably was in the editing room. He was definitely on set. He definitely was hands-on. But he didn't direct it. Toby Hooper's name's on the movie. Um, there's guys face falling off. There's people smoking marijuana. You can see Hooper and Spielberg, but you can see Spielberg in anything he touches. I just don't understand why people don't think... A producer obviously has input. Especially if it's Spielberg. 
But I don't know why people just don't look at other produced Spielberg movies that have just as much Spielberg in them and say, you know, Richard Donner didn't direct The Goonies or Joe Dante didn't direct Gremlins. It's just nonsense. They directed, Joe Dante directed Gremlins, Richard Donner directed The Goonies, and Toby Hooper directed Poltergeist. That's how I see it. I mean, I wasn't there. Now there was a PA that said he was there for a couple of days and saw Spielberg directing scenes. Sometimes the second unit director directs scenes. I'm sure Spielberg acted as second unit, but it is what it is. Um, I kid, 4K releases of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Phenomenon, my favorite Argento flick. I'm sold. Iowa Guy, my favorite is Night of the Living Dead. Classic. Romero Flores, on a scale from 1 to 10, what would you give the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 4K color quality? That's tough because I, I'm trying to think, well, if you guys would have to give me the best quality. Um, let's go 7 because I thought that color was very vibrant in the day. I was really shocked. Now, I don't I don't really have a scale myself, but I think 7 is a really fair rating because it was just it caught me by surprise. The day stuff looked very vibrant and bright and colorful. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Jeff, 1999. Great episode. I agree totally with Texas Chainsaw Massacre Review. Appreciate what you do each week. These shows are jam-packed with content and you make it look easy. It's not. Thank you. Ken Coakley. I also want to get the phenomenon in 4K. The famous Argento color scheme seems made for 4K. I also love the main theme by Claudio Simonetti. The beginning of the track is really haunting. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and then he says, I really want to get that Lindsay box set. I forgot that Brothers Till We Die is in the set. It's my favorite Tomas Milan film. Milan had a long and successful career from doing spaghetti westerns, duo crime, up to being on HBO show Oz as Kurt. Uh, yeah, basically uh, Miguel. Uh, grandfather. Another Italian film actor that was on the show was Tony Mustante from Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Of course he was. Yeah, I mentioned all that. Didn't mention Tony, though. I, I was a big Oz fan. When I met, uh, he says, Ace Vendito. I never knew how to say his name. Kurt uh, Ace Vendito, basically. That's uh, his name. Miguel Al uh, Alvarez? It was Alvarez, for sure. Miguel uh, yeah, I think it was Alvarez. When I met Avocado at Rockstock, I told him about Milan being a spaghetti western Euro crime film icon. He told me that he told me that he was unaware of that. It's a shame that I didn't get to meet Milan at the show. He seems very interesting in all his old interviews. Ben Masters, the Violent Streets box says it's completely bonkers. It's just amazing. Shame they couldn't throw in the tough ones as it as it is together with almost human, arguably the best Polizia Tetsi ever. Dirty Harry has nothing on the Specter Tansy or Commissionero Barry. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Dirty Harry's pretty tough, man. But uh, you know what? Um, I'm just gonna do the Patreon drawing right here, and then we'll hop and sue that update. So I'll draw five names out. Remember, if you haven't been drawn out in the last few draws, let me know. Let's see what we got here. We'll go into the update after this. Jim Simon, one good cop. Is that the uh, James Woods movie? Then we got Jonathan Wilhelm, Martial Law. Cool stuff. Three more. We got three right here. So here we go. David Scott, Bullet. I assume that's a Steve McQueen one. Then we have David Luton, La Dole, uh, Dolce Vita. Okay. Classic, of course. And then last, but certainly not least, we have John Wilhelm, Death Promise, which looks like a lot of fun. So there we go, and we're going to hop into that update. Okay, let's hop right into this. First up is Dark Glasses by uh, Dario Argento, of course. Really enjoyed this one. It was way better than his last couple, I thought. Um, yeah, just a standard kind of Blu-ray from RLJ. Um, anyways, it's on Shutter. If you guys are interested, would recommend. Next up is Goodbye uh, 20th Century. This is a Vinegar Syndrome release. This one looks a little odd. Don't know much about this one. Looks bizarre. I mean, it looks like a cult movie. Like I said, do the yearly package. So who knows what the hell this is. Looks super weird. Hopefully it's good. 
Next up, we have Massage Parlor Murders. This is the 4K update of it. Um, this one I remember liking. I have not watched since the Blu-ray, but yeah. Uh, pretty gnarly cover art. A lot more explicit than I remember the movie being. But hey, what do I know? Maybe my memory's bad. But uh, yeah, I'm sure they cleaned this up really well. Great cover art. Next up, we have Deep Undead uh, from Saturn's Core. There's a new reason not to go in the water. Okay. Nowadays, it's probably just bad. <laughs> there we go. Saturn's Core puts a lot of these SOV movies out. And that cover art's pretty pretty crummy. But hey, SOV cover art was never known to be amazing all the time. So sometimes. And then we have Thrust. Which uh, is made in Dayton by um, Victor Bonacore. And there's a bunch of people I know. So pick this one up. Looks pretty weird. And then they have Quigley's in there. Allison Egan. Sadie Tate. Brian Papandrea. Uh, Ronnie Jonah. A lot of people. Very cool. Misty Mundane. So yeah. The End of Men. Couldn't come soon enough for me. <laughs> Kill me before Monday so I don't have to go to work. Do it Sunday night. Sounds great. But uh, yeah, anyways, that is the update. Let's get back to the video. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Me.